Amen, amen, amen. All right, uh, welcome to a, another edition of Discipleship Class. This is class number nine, class number nine. And as my uh, mathematically oriented brother pointed out, it's one-fourth, right? This is one-fourth of the class, four times nine is 36, so nine of 36 tonight. And I'm glad you're here. I'm excited about um, the things we're going to be covering tonight. Three stages of growth and uh, visible signs from an invisible source, visible signs from an invisible source. So uh, Lord willing, Holy Spirit leading uh, the way we will uh, cover those and maybe even uh, a, f a few other things uh, along the way. Um, I do want to say last week's class, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I told you before we started, it's one of my favorite of all the classes. And um, you guys, I appreciate the feedback I received from some of you. And I don't know, but it may be a record. I think as of this afternoon, 209 people had uh, watched the class online. So that's, a, that's very encouraging. And some of those, you have to keep in mind now, some of those, uh, you know, it's one view, but it's a whole group of people that, that, that are watching. And so, so anyway, uh, to God be the glory for that and uh, people receiving the truth and that truth equipping them to do what God's called them to do. And that's a very, very exciting, very, very exciting thing uh, for all of us. Amen? Amen? All right. Well, let's pray and we'll get to it. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for those who are joining us, Father, uh, here in the room and those, Father, that are watching online. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit and His presence, Father. He is not uh, limited uh, to time and space. And uh, Father, I could, I could say something. You could inspire me to say something now that somebody watches five years from now. And your Holy Spirit will be right there to anoint it and, and impact their heart. And so, Lord, we, we trust you for that. We believe you for that. We, we are expecting more this afternoon than we can accomplish on our own, Father. I thank you for uh, thinking through my mind, speaking through my lips. Father, may my spirit, soul, and body become a portal through which your wisdom can pass from eternity into time and space. I believe that I've received utterance for these, your precious people. Father, help me. Lord, help you feed them tonight in ways that would be uh, transformative and glorifying to yourself. Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for his leadership. He's our teacher. We yield to him tonight, and we anticipate receiving great things from him now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen and amen. All right, so I think I've got at least a patch uh, worked out on the um, screen overlays for those of you watching online. Uh, and I was correct in my assumption it was uh, an updated software that has a bug in it. So we went back, I think we went back three uh, previous versions and finally found one that'll work. And so uh, anyway, the, the good folks at Vimeo and Livestream Studio are working to correct that. So but hopefully we won't have any hiccups with that tonight. Let's begin at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. This is a passage we've already turned to on more than one occasion. And I imagine this will not be the last time that we turn to it. Um, but let's, uh, let's jump in uh, right here tonight. And it says this, uh, speaking of God, God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, not according to our works. When it says works, think, think in terms of, of something you've earned, something that you've deserved, uh, something that God gave you based upon your performance. He's saying that it's, it's not according to that. Salvation is not according to works. It's not something that's earned. It's a gift that's freely given. And so he saved us and he called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, according to his own purpose. So God's purpose is for you and for me and his grace for you and for me. Amen. 
and this grace and this purpose was given to us uh, not only before we were formed in our mother's wombs, but before time began. God lives outside of time and space. He's not a man. We sometimes try to understand God as a man. He's not a man. God's not a man. Amen. He created man, but he's not a man, and he lives and exists outside of time and space. And so before time, as we understand it, began on this planet, God had already called you. God had already assigned to you uh, his own purpose and grace, and he gave those, that purpose and that grace to you as a gift in Christ Jesus before time began. So I know we've covered some things about this passage already, but I felt compelled uh, as we uh, started uh, this class to talk a little more about purpose. And if you notice, I put in all caps, and grace, purpose and grace, not just purpose and not just grace, but how purpose and grace uh, go together, work together uh, in, in your life and in my life. Now, modern Christianity, <coughs> excuse me, modern Christianity, uh, meaning present day Christianity, especially here in the United States, tends to focus on the grace and ignore the purpose. Um, are you just what I mean by that? We hear a lot today about grace, and rightfully so. I'm, don't misunderstand me. I am so thankful that we are hearing more and more about God's grace from the pulpits in this nation. And that's very important, and I know that there are some who are opposed to that. I'm not opposed to that, but we, we, we've got to understand that it's not just grace. It's purpose and grace. So the grace of God, the Bible says, that brings salvation is also our teacher. The grace of God that brings salvation is also our teacher. Let me skip down, and I'll show you that verse uh, before we go any further. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. That's important. Grace is a lot of things, but sometimes we don't consider the grace of God. And by the way, if you're not familiar with this term, uh, the grace of God is referring to what God has freely given to us, what God has freely done for us, um, it's, it's something that is help or favor or benefit that is not earned and it is not deserved. And when it comes to what God has done for us, not only is it not earned, not only is it not deserved, it cannot be earned. It cannot be deserved. It is, it is too precious and it is beyond anything that any of us could ever be good enough, long enough for God to owe it to us. Amen. So remember this, God will not owe you anything, but he has freely given you everything. And a lot of times we, we have this approach to a relationship with God, to, to uh, you know, interaction with God that somehow you know, we're going to do this and pray this and say this and have this so that He will eventually owe us some favor, owe us some blessing, owe us some good thing. That's not grace. That's not how this works. It's not how any of this works. So when we're talking about grace, we're talking about the love of God. We're talking about what we do not deserve, what we could not earn, but what God has instead freely given. And notice He has given us grace and He has given us purpose in Christ Jesus before time began. And one of the key roles of grace in our lives is that grace is what will ultimately teach us. Notice what it will teach us to do. It will teach us to deny ungodliness. It will teach us to deny worldly lusts. It will teach us to live soberly. It will teach us to live righteously and godly in the present age. Now, we will get into this in much greater detail in the days ahead, but for now, let me just at least go this one step further. One of the key ways grace does that 
is the more you understand how much God loves you and the more you understand how much he's done for you and the more you understand how precious you are to him, it motivates you to get the junk out of your lives. It motivates us to want to live right and do right and please God. Amen. Now, what religion often uses is things like guilt and shame and threat of eternity in hell and uh, condemnation. Uh, you know, hear a lot of this uh, from pulpits today uh, because they believe, uh, wrong, incorrectly so, according to the scriptures, that somehow we can guilt people into, shame people into, condemn people into, uh, you know, make people feel bad enough about themselves that eventually they'll want to do right. And it's counterproductive. As you've heard me say already, Jesus bled to death naked on a cross to take these things off of us. So who would I be to try to put those things back on you? So the more you understand how much God loves you, the more you understand how much he's done for you, that is ultimately what motivates us and teaches us to deny ungodliness, worldly lusts, live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And I love that he says this present age, because obviously this was inspired by the Holy Spirit many generations ago. Things have changed. In a lot of ways, they've remained the same, but things have changed, okay? Uh, there was no internet pornography when uh, he wrote this, okay? But when he said that the grace of God will teach us to live this way in the present age, no matter what is here now or what is to come, grace can still help us overcome those lusts of the flesh. Amen? Amen. Are you happy about that? That's good news. Praise God. All right. So purpose and grace. Purpose and grace. I, I've never said it quite this way before. I believe the Holy Spirit gave me this, uh, this phrase. Um, there is purpose for the grace and there is grace for the purpose. Okay. There is purpose for the grace and there is grace for the purpose. Purpose is the reason for which something exists. You know, what's the purpose of that? You know, what's the reason for that? Why are we doing that? Why, why, why does that exist? Okay? So the purpose, purpose is the reason for which something exists. So when we, when we say there's purpose for the grace, there's a reason grace exists. There's a reason why God has extended His grace to you and me. And it's more than just one simple reason. It's multiple reasons. But again, there's a purpose. God has a purpose, a reason for showing you and me the kind of grace that He has shown to us. But then there is also... Uh, grace for the purpose, meaning unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor and blessing and benefit and equipping, right? So that you and I can then fulfill the reason that we exist. All right. So I don't know what I was expecting in response from you, but I just thought that was one of the coolest things that God's given me to say that way in a long time. Okay. So again, there's purpose for the grace and there's grace for the purpose. There's a reason why we have been given unearned, undeserved favor and help and we have been given unearned, undeserved favor and help to fulfill the reason why we exist. So one last thing along these lines. You'll never understand grace apart from your purpose, and you will never fulfill your purpose apart from grace. Amen. You'll never understand grace apart from your purpose. Amen. Why has God done this for me? Why has he loved me like this? Why has he sacrificed so much just to give me the opportunity to come back to him? Well, amen. When you understand your purpose, you'll understand why he's given that kind of grace to you. And then vice versa, you can never fulfill the purpose, the reason for your existence apart from the grace of God. Amen. Okay, so we've made this statement a few times. We'll make it again. Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Now, I want to 
try to step back for just a moment. Um, I know I stepped back from the, 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 the podium here, but I mean, not just literally step back, but I mean, step back as it relates to these classes and where we are nine classes in and, and where we're headed, okay? We basically are, are migrating out of uh, the first section of classes where I really try to dig into the scriptures and give you some practical understanding of discipleship, what it is from the original Greek language, how it worked in Jesus's uh, earthly life and ministry, how it now works uh, with Jesus in heaven and the Holy Spirit on the earth and in uh, us, um, what dis purposes discipleship is meant to serve. Uh, we've talked about finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ. We've talked about the bridge uh, from the point of your salvation to the fulfillment of your destiny. We've talked about, if you remember some of these things, the inward realities of the new birth becoming outward expressions of life. Anybody remember any of this? Any of this sound familiar? Okay, good. Praise God. All right. So I know some of you weren't here for all these classes, but uh, so we, we've just we've covered a whole lot of that stuff. And we're not really through with that. We, 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 we'll work some more of that in as, as we move along. But where we are now is this idea of discipleship uh, being you know, what God uses to prepare us for the fulfillment of our purpose and destiny. And so we've talked about um, you know, serving God and, and ministry and how it's the pastor and the teacher and the evangelist and the apostle and the prophet uh, that their, their jobs, their roles, are to equip individual believers to do the work of the ministry. And then last week we talked about how, you know, statistically speaking, uh, a small portion of God's people are involved in some form of ministry. Uh, about 50% aren't interested and then about 40% uh, are interested, but they've never been asked or they don't feel like they're, they're you know, qualified. Uh, and, and so they're kind of in this place, stuck, so to speak. All right. Now, these classes are for everybody, so don't misunderstand me, but, but not everybody's ready for these classes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? About? Okay, amen. Uh, so everybody's welcome, but you know, some people come and kick a tire too, and then we don't see them for a while. And, and some people do that, and then they come back the next year or three years later, and they're like, okay, I'm ready now, Pastor Mark. So amen, that's between the individual and God. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand um, uh, you know, what I'm saying there. But when I say the class is for everybody, Obviously, if you're in that 10% and you're involved in serving God in some capacity, uh, then I'm, I'm, I'm all in to help you uh, be better at whatever it is that God's called you to do, equip you uh, to be more effective in, in your uh, ministry. And that may be a prayer ministry, that, it, it, in other words, it, just all sorts and all kinds of ministry, okay? But then the next group of people, that 40% that <laughs> have an interest in ministry but don't feel like they're ready for it or don't know what to do or never been asked or don't feel qualified, man, come on with it, right? That's, that's where there's a lot of, of, of room for development and growth and increase and fruitfulness in the kingdom of God, amen, where individual believers uh, are, are getting equipped, finding out, committing to discipleship, and progressing in the fulfillment of, um, of their destiny. So every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. And as we said last week, we covered a lot of things. But one of the things that we said, and I just want to remind you, all right, don't, don't you go telling God that nobody told you, because I'm telling you right now, you're going to stand before Him one day and you will be rewarded 
or not rewarded <laughs> based upon what you did with what you were given. Your right standing with God is not based upon what you do, but your rewards one day will be. And it's easy for us now to say, oh, I don't care about that, Pastor Mark. What's that old song, just give me a cabin in the corner of glory? Well, there ain't no cabins in the corner of glory, first of all, okay? Um, it's easy for us to say now that that doesn't interest us, but Jesus told us, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Amen. And, and that doesn't mean being broke on the earth, but it does mean living with a heavenly perspective while we uh, uh, are here upon this earth serving our Father. Now, we, we touched on this at the very end of the class. I want to step back and repeat and review, and then um, we'll move forward. We said that when we were young and immature, um, our growth and development is dependent upon those who serve and care for us. And, and that's true both physically when it comes to physical growth and development. It's also true when it comes to spiritual growth and development. And we see in the scriptures, and hence the title, Three Stages of Spiritual Growth, we see in the scriptures where there are those who are as spiritual babies. We see in scripture where there are those who are as spiritual children. And then we see in scripture where there are those who are as spiritual adults. So in the, in the, in the sense of stages of growth and development, we see that spiritual growth and development mirrors, or maybe we should say it the other way around, physical growth and development mirrors uh, that of spiritual growth and development. Now, as we work our way through this, though, what we're going to see is um, an individual can grow and develop physically uh, just by remaining alive for a certain period of time, okay? Uh, but when it comes to spiritual growth and development, uh, we see in Hebrews 5 where people have been born again for a long, long time uh, to the point where they should be teaching and serving and ministering to others, but they still needed somebody to prepare them a bottle uh, of milk in, in, in because they weren't ready or couldn't handle strong meat, all right? And so it's, we sh let me say it another way. Spiritual growth and development, spiritual maturing is not automatic, We've got, to, we've got to understand what it is, and we've got to understand how to cooperate with the Holy Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to experience that growth and development ourselves, all right? But let's talk about this a little more. Um, we reach a point in our physical and our spiritual development where continued growth depends upon taking the step of doing things for yourself, right? So we see that when we're infants... You know, I've got a, a, a newborn baby granddaughter, and she needs somebody to feed her. She needs somebody to change her. Uh, I've got a two-year-old grandson who's potty trained now. Yippee yahoo! Okay. Um, and, and, in other words, are you following? What I'm saying he's he's learning to do things for himself. Okay, and and progressing through uh, these different stages. So. With, uh, we reach a point in our physical and spiritual development where continued growth depends upon taking the step of doing things for ourselves. Now, a giant step towards greater maturity, a giant step towards greater maturity is when you move beyond yourself and serve someone else. As a matter of fact, you will never grow and develop until you take this step. In other words, that may not be the right way to say you're never going to develop. But that may be an inaccurate way of saying it. But the point I'm trying to make is you can only grow so far until you take that step. In the same way that if you as a, as a human being are constantly depending upon everybody else doing for you or everything you do is for yourself only and you never do anything for anybody else, it's going to, it's going to limit uh, your ability to mature and grow and develop as a person. 
as a person, okay? And so the same is true when we talk about our spiritual growth and development. So just stay with me here. These are the three stages, and I'll, I'll put them on the screen. I mean, we could, we could obviously use different ways to explain this, but this is to me the most, I guess, parallel as far as the stages of growth between natural growth and development and spiritual growth and development. Babies are totally dependent upon others to prepare and feed them their food. Children need someone to help prepare their food but can feed themselves. Adults can prepare a meal and feed it to others. Can prepare a meal and feed it to others. Are you following what I'm saying here? Okay. So, you know, maybe you're, you know, just a newborn believer and, you know, you're not even sure if Hezekiah is a book in the Bible yet or not, and it's not. Okay, I'm just trying to show you. You're new. You're, you need somebody to prepare the meal for you. You need somebody to break it down, cut it up in bite-sized chunks, and, you know, maybe even put some milk with it. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that's okay. The Bible says to desire the sincere milk of the Word that we may grow thereby. But we can only grow to a certain point on a diet of milk, Right? When God wanted to bring His chosen people out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land, He fed them manna in the wilderness. But when it came time to progress to the next level, right, they had to change their diet. Amen. They had to change their diet. And we could talk a long time about a spiritual diet. Okay. And there's what, are, what are you being fed by the people who are feeding you? Um, the pastor that, that you sit under, all of these. I, I'm going to say this uh, over and over again, and you need to pray about this. Uh, the, the, the church that you choose to be a part of and the pastor that you choose to submit yourself to is one of the most important decisions you will ever make in your life because most of what you're going to be fed is going to come through those channels and from, and from those people. Amen. And there are uh, all kinds of people with all kinds of crazy ideas uh, wearing three-piece suits standing behind pulpits in our world today, okay? And so you need to be led by the Spirit when you make that choice because, again, what are you being fed? What are you eating? Amen? And, and you, you almost just, you just listen to what people say. Amen? You know, sometimes we have this little thing at our, at our house, okay, where, you know, if, if, if somebody is, um, especially my children, you know, when they were younger and stuff, uh, when maybe they were saying something that wasn't so positive or maybe there was a little complaint in their voice or a little whine in their voice, right? Um, the question would be, um, who is your pastor and where do you go to church? Okay, uh, because they weren't taught to talk that way here. Are you, are you hearing me? They weren't taught. Uh, and, of course, my kids, if they could ever catch me, who's your pastor, Dad? Where do you go to church? Right, if they could ever catch me uh, saying something negative or something that, that maybe had some doubt and unbelief in it, right? Okay. Um, but, you know, sometimes, I'll just be honest with you, sometimes I hear people who've been part of this church for a long time say stuff, and I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious, they, they, let's preach some more, let's preach harder, I'm not preaching enough. Amen, somebody's not hearing me, right? But anyway, praise God. Um, so, you know, what you're being fed um, if you want to go to, to another level in the things of God, you, you may have to change your diet to get there. Amen. God, God fed them manna for a while, but where he was taking them next, they needed some meat and taters. Amen. Are you hearing me? Praise God. And where he wants to take you, amen, you, you, you need some stronger, something stronger than milk. Amen. Amen. Are you with me? Praise God. All right. Uh, so I know um, I love to cook. I, I love to prepare food for people and 
it, as a matter of fact, if, you know, I, I may, I just realized there's a, I'm, there's a typo in that. Anybody catch that? <laughs> Babies, amen. Uh, I'm not going to try to correct it now, but anyway, <laughs> praise God. Uh, um, but I love to cook, and the Lord told me one time, he said, he said, you know, preparing a physical meal for people is very similar to what you do when you stand before people with the word, right? When you prepare a meal, you try to find something that people are going to like. You try to season it in a way that, that they will, they'll receive it, and, and it's appealing to them, and, and serve it in a way that, that people will want to. You follow what I'm saying? And so there's a lot of similarities between preparing a, a spiritual meal to feed somebody uh, and a physical meal to feed somebody. Praise God. All right. So let me just break this down a little further here and get that typo off the screen. Ministering to others. I was going to joke around with Cornelius in Kenya. I'm going to say that's how they spell babies in Kenya, but it's not. It's not how they spell it. Okay. Right. Praise God. All right. Ministering to others is necessary. That's probably been there for 18 years. I don't know how many years that's been that like that, but I just now noticed it. Praise God. Ministering to others is necessary for spiritual growth and development. That's just the bottom line. Ministering to others is necessary for spiritual growth and development. Now, this is one of those, and, and maybe I'm, I'm not using this exactly the right way, but if you allow it, this can be one of those catch-22 things, all right? Uh, and what I mean by catch-22 is you know, this idea that, okay, I've got to grow to be able to minister to other people, but in order to minister to other people, I need to grow, right? And so there's a lot of people who get stuck in, in this place of uh, needing to, to minister to other people to grow, but they don't feel like they're spiritually mature enough to actually minister to other people. And so think, for, think about, do you understand what I'm saying there, right? And maybe some of you can relate to that in your own life. It's like, okay, I'm all in, Pastor Mark, but man, you know, I, I don't know the Bible. I don't know the, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to answer these questions, all right? So th think about it this way. If you wait until you know how to use a fork before you use one, you'll never use a fork, Right? And that's been one of the hardest things for me uh, with, with my children, and even more so with my grandchildren, is when they start using that fork, you know, and they get the bite almost to their mouth and it, you know, it drops, you know, and you just want to take it away from them and, and start feeding them again. But if you don't let them learn and try, they, they never will, right? Are you following me? My, my grandson Samuel, he'd take a spoon, he would take the spoon, he would bring it to his mouth, and right before he got it to his mouth, he would turn it over and then it'd drop out. You know, he'd put the spoon in his mouth and pull it out backwards. I'm like, no, you know, say, but he can, right, it, it took him a minute to figure out, okay, every time I turn this over, I'm not getting the bite. He likes to eat, so he figured it out, okay? So, but again, if you wait till you know how to use the spoon before you use it, then you'll never use the spoon. If you wait until you're mature enough spiritually to serve God and others, you'll never mature. You'll never mature. And the whole point, of course, is, again, take my yoke upon you is what Jesus invites us to do, Right? that we actually yoke up together with Him and start down that road with Him. And as we step out, He begins to direct us and teach us, and we grow and, and mature and develop in that way. My son, sitting behind his little kid sitting behind the wheel of my truck one day, pretending like he was steering it. He wasn't steering it. You can't steer a parked car. You've got to get the thing rolling before you can steer it. And in the same way, we've got to get moving, amen, for God to be able with the Holy Spirit to be able to teach us and direct us and steer us in the direction that He would have for us to go, all right? So don't wait until you're mature enough to serve God in some capacity, to serve others in some capacity. 
Because if you wait till you are spiritually mature to do it, you'll, it'll never happen because you can't mature spiritually without serving. All right, I think I said that so many different ways, but I, it's important. I want you to make sure you understand it, all right? Now, far too many people view their salvation as the end of a journey instead of the beginning of one. Some only view the purpose for their salvation as a means to get into heaven one day when they die. And so we're content with being saved. We're content with going to heaven. We're content even more so with not going to hell. And we see salvation as an end in and of itself rather than a means to a greater end. All right. I want you to turn with me to John, the third chapter. John, the third chapter. And we're going to begin at verse number one. Okay. John chapter three and uh, verse number one. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you're not familiar with this uh, passage, this, this contains one of the most important conversations ever had and ever recorded between Jesus and another person. This is the conversation that he had with a religious leader named Nicodemus. A religious leader named Nicodemus, okay? Now, I'm fine if you are, but is it getting a little stuffy in here or is it just me? Yeah? Who, yeah, you know what to do. Can, who, who turned it down for me last week? Can somebody... The, it's the air. It's, it's the thermostat on the other side of this wall behind me, and it's digital. Just pump it down a few degrees. Amen. Uh, do what now? Yeah, yeah. We can turn it up if it gets cold. Amen. All right. So this many folks in here probably will not get cold. All right. Um, John chapter three verses one through thirteen. Again, this contains the conversation that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus and. Um, I want you to uh, imagine this conversation. I don't know, anybody in here seen The Chosen series, any of that? A few of you have? Okay. I don't know if you've seen The Chosen uh, uh, episode that contains this conversation, but it, it, it is powerful, it is impactful. And, and a lot of the ways that, that I have, uh, not exactly, but the way I imagined it uh, in my mind was portrayed uh, in the um, uh, episode of uh, The Chosen. But let's begin at verse number one. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right. Now... <clears throat> I've been known to take a whole class on, on, I mean, like all almost two hours on these 13 verses. If the Holy Spirit wants us to do that tonight, we will do that. I want to I just wade off into it, and we'll be led, and I want you to see, amen, very clearly what's going on here and why this is worded the way that it's worded, okay? So let's, let's start, first of all, with what's a Pharisee. There are three main um, sects, S-E-C-T-S, like think denominations, that's a loose term, but one you can relate to, okay? Think three denominations of the Jewish religion, of Judaism, okay? And we see that those sects are, you know, leadership, schools of thought, um, doctrine, differing doctrine. You, you had the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Essenes, um, E-S-S-E-N-E-S, okay? And to give you some idea about the Essenes, John the Baptist, all right? So they, they, were the, uh, they were the other side of the track Pentecostals. I'm just being silly when I say that, all right? Um, you know, the, the, the 
fanatics, I, I guess you could say. I mean, in a lot of ways, praise God. And, and then you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees, um, no offense, but, you know, uh, think wealthy Presbyterians, okay? Um, and, and literally, the Sadducees were very wealthy. Um, and I'm certainly, I don't mean to compare, I hope it didn't offend anybody that's a Presbyterian, but, but the Sadducees, um, they did not believe in the afterlife, they did not believe in miracles, they did not believe in the resurrection from the dead, okay? Then you have this group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, like so many movements, began uh, w- with a noble purpose. And, and that was to make sure the common man, the common person, the, the average Jewish person had someone to explain to them the laws and the commands and the ways of God. Because a lot of these people in, in their day, way more so than our day, they were not educated. They didn't know how to read and write. And in order for them to benefit from what God had said, what God had promised, the, 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 the ways of God, the precepts of God, the commandments of God, somebody had to teach them. And so the Pharisees, they did believe in miracles. They did believe in uh, demons and casting out of demons. They, they believed in the afterlife, supernatural. They believed in angels. Okay, um, And so you have these three basic groups of people. And so Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And, when, and it's hard for me to really communicate to you what it would have taken for him to achieve this level of accomplishment in the Jewish religion. Um, this would have been someone who studied most of his life. Uh, in some cases, even as small children, they would go to a school and live there and train for decades to, to become uh, what he was. We don't know for sure if that's what the case was with Nicodemus or not. Uh, many Pharisees could quote the Old Testament frontwards and backwards. Okay, that's, that's how, uh, you know, adept and studious and, and you know, Bible-focused and oriented um, that they were. Now, <clears throat> of course, if you, if you have read the New Testament and the four Gospels, you know that the Pharisees, for the most part, uh, despised Jesus. They hated Jesus. They were constantly trying to ask Him questions to publicly embarrass Him because, again, they had become uh, very religiously oriented or I call it religiously minded, or even if you want to understand what a religious spirit is, then study the, the Pharisees who were opposed to Jesus, right? And, and so we see that it was from this group that Nicodemus wants to meet with Jesus. And he wants to do it at night in secret because they had already established that anyone who aligned themselves with Jesus, you know, from the... Pharisees from that religious leadership that they would be excommunicated. Uh, so for, Pharise- for, for Nicodemus, a Pharisee, this would mean that not only would he be out of a job, he would be out of a place to worship God and serve God. The t- you know, he would be kicked out, so to speak. Um, what he had worked for and studied for and, and invested basically his whole life into would have been taken away from him. Uh, and so I want you to understand that because that tells you how much he was risking by wanting to sit down and talk with Jesus. Now, what was at the the heart of this conversation? Obviously, curiosity, 
but specifically what we see in verse number 2. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So signs here is translated in other uh, versions of the Bible, other translations of the Bible, as miracles. In other words, Nicodemus had personally witnessed Jesus perform miracles. Not something, you know, uh, uh, sketchy, not, not uh, Jesus planting somebody in the crowd that nobody knew. Uh, these were folks that, that Nicodemus would have known personally. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to, the Bible doesn't say this, but I'm just trying to help you understand what I mean. You know, somebody that Nicodemus knew that had a chariot accident and was paralyzed and knew he was paralyzed. I mean, help, you know, uh, they would receive offerings down at the synagogue to help the family, you know, because this man was paralyzed. And now Jesus comes to town and heals him. And, Nic- and so Nicodemus knew that what Jesus was doing, uh, you know, it was real miracles. This was a real deal, okay? Um, now, you also have to remember that uh, other religious leaders did not deny Jesus performing miracles. In other words, that was never a question for them. It wasn't like, oh, he's faking, this is all planted, this is... No, what did they say? It's an undeniable miracle, but they were so stubborn and so blinded to the truth that they said he was doing miracles, he was casting out demons, but he was doing it not with the power of God, but with the power of the devil. All right? So let's go ahead and make sure we understand right there. Even Jesus' enemies did not deny that Jesus performed miracles. So do you understand now why, number one, Nicodemus is coming at night... He's calling Jesus a rabbi, and he's saying that, that we know. So he's not the only one. Either he volunteered for this assignment or he drew the short straw. But, but Nicodemus, right, was represented a group of Pharisees who didn't necessarily uh, come out publicly in favor of Jesus, but did not believe what the party line was, that he's doing this by the power of the devil. He says, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the miracles that you do unless God is with him. Unless God is with him. All right. Yes, ma'am. Would there not be like muscular atrophy, you know, they're paralyzed? So he like instantly made their muscles? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great question. How about this is one of my favorites. Um, his friend uh, Lazarus had been dead for four days, and his body was already rotting and decaying. Okay, and and Jesus, think about it, it's three miracles. It's a long sermon. I won't preach it, but three miracles, right? When Jesus healed him, when Jesus called him back from the dead, he healed him of whatever killed him. He uh, brought life back into his lifeless body, and he restored whatever um, that whole experience. Had, uh, had taken from him. Amen. And, and of course, what we know is these same religious leaders now put a contract out on Lazarus. They wanted him, somebody to kill him because, again, undeniable. No, nobody tried to say, oh, they just put, you know, skunk odor on him and made him stink. He really wasn't dead. No, everybody knew he was dead. And, and, and it was a bona fide, verifiable uh, miracle. Those of you watching online, sister said, you know, what about the atrophy of the muscles? And we see, we see, this is the amazing thing about it, okay? We see Jesus healing people who had never walked. You know, you think, okay, somebody's never walked. All of a sudden, they've got the ability to walk, but now we've got to send them to 16 weeks of physical therapy to learn how to walk again. No, you know, lame man jumps up. The Bible says he not only was healed, he went jumping and leaping and praising God. Amen. And listen to me now, the God we serve still does these things. He still does these things. Come on now, that may be a little bit much for some of you right now, but he still does these things. So, 
Nicodemus had witnessed it, and, and it was undeniable. But what it, so, so I'm wanting you to see, though, because this is important as we work our way through uh, this text. Again, we're in verse 3 of 13. And so in verse 2, he says, um, I know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So now remember, as a Pharisee, he would have believed in miracles. We don't know if he's ever seen one. We know he certainly read about them in the Old Testament, right? When the angel of the Lord appears to, to Gideon uh, and, and, and is trying to inspire him to step out in faith and do something for God, Gideon's, uh, you know, he's like, where's God? Where's all the miracles that we read about, you know? So I don't know if Nicodemus had ever actually seen a miracle before this, but he believed in miracles. And he believed as a Pharisee, that it was his position, and that's one of the reasons I love the chosen, is because we see that whether this happened or not, we don't know. But at least we see he was trying to minister to Mary, who was possessed with demons, in that in that portrayal of this, and of course to to no uh, end, to no positive effect or result. Okay, so again, underlying all of this, Nicodemus trying to figure out how to ease into this conversation. But if I could just put it in my own words, Jesus, how is it that you're doing? what we're seeing you do. How is it, right? Now, the, the understanding that, that, that Nicodemus would have had, am I boring you? I don't want to bore you. Y'all still with me? Okay, we get, Jesus, okay. Listen, we're not, we're not just talking about somebody else. We're talking about us, all right? And eventually we're going to get to there, all right? Uh, you're in this conversation too. Amen. And, and I'm going to show you this because in a minute he's going to say, so is everyone. So is everyone who's been born of the Spirit. So we're not just talking about Jesus and Nicodemus. We're talking about what God's desire and heart is as it relates to ministry for every born again child of God. Amen. Okay. So I hope that gets you excited and and, and you want to stay tuned and not zone out on me. All right. So he's what, what Nicodemus would have understood, and this is important, what he would have understood from the Old Testament was what we would call the Old Testament model of the prophet. Did God perform miracles in the Old Testament? Yes. How did he do it? He did it by using a prophet. Amen. And a prophet would have been a man or a woman that God would have selected to occupy a office the office of the prophet, like the office of the president, we elect a president who sits in that seat and is occupying that office. In, in God's kingdom, office of the prophet, he would have selected a man or a woman, and he would have then given that man or woman a measure of his anointing, a measure, a portion of his Holy Spirit that would be placed upon that individual that would then empower that individual to, to speak on God's behalf, to minister on God's behalf, and to work miracles as God's representative in the earth. And we see prophets who multiplied food. We see prophets who heal people who were sick. We see prophets who affected uh, weather patterns, and uh, we see prophets that, that raised the dead. We, we see all of that in the Old Testament. So now along comes Jesus, okay, and he's doing these same things. He's multiplying food. He's healing the sick. He's rebuking storms, and of course, later we're going to see that he actually raises the dead, all right? Now, I'm getting way, way ahead of myself. I'm getting like maybe six classes ahead of myself. But let me go ahead and plant this. We'll come back and water it later. Okay? There was one miracle that Jesus performed that was reserved for him that we did not see in the Old Testament prophets. Okay? And and it was a sign. As a matter of fact, the sign was if you see a man doing this, then it can only mean one thing. It means the kingdom of God has come. 
And that miracle was casting out demons. We have no record of Old Testament prophets casting out demons. Jesus cast out demons. And he said this. He said, if you see me casting out devils, it can only mean one thing, that the kingdom of God is here present with you. Okay? Now that's important because notice what Jesus says in verse 3. Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, again, God gave us an imagination, and Satan tries to hijack our imagination to imagination, to imagine rather, use our imagination for all kinds of evil things and negative things. The devil wants you to imagine every kind of negative outcome. He wants you to, it's called worry, right? When we sit there and focus on what could happen and how bad it could be, and if this doesn't work out, and what are we going to do if this happens? Again, let, let God and the Holy Spirit take control of your imagination. And, and so when you read these things, the Holy Spirit was there. Ask Him to help you see it. Ask Him to, 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 to help you imagine what's going on. And I, I, there are times I have meditated so deeply upon these passages, it almost feels like I'm sitting at the table with, with Jesus and, and, and Nicodemus, right? And so, again... Put yourself in Nicodemus' place. You're already a little nervous. If you get caught with him, there's a good chance it's going to cost you everything. But there's a curiosity in you and there's questions that you have because you want to see people helped. You want to see sick people healed. You want to see demonically possessed people set free. You want to see the gospel being preached to, to the poor and the impoverished and ones that, that the, the high and mighty religious people have overlooked. Are you with me? This is in his heart. This is a good man. This is a man with a good heart. And so if Jesus has some answers, he's willing to put everything that he's worked for his whole life on the line to hear those answers. And so we asked Jesus, look, I know God's got to do it. So what is he asking? He said, how are you doing it, Jesus? I believe in miracles. I believe in, in the supernatural. I believe in divine intervention, supernatural intervention of God into the lives of people. So how are you doing it? Again, we don't see it in this conversation, but we know from other conversations. I've searched the scriptures. I've searched the scriptures. And we don't see in the scriptures where anything good's coming out of Nazareth. Jesus was from Nazareth, right? Search the scriptures. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Well, what if he's the Messiah? He can't be the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. Do your homework. He was from Nazareth, but he was born in Bethlehem, just like the prophet said he would be born in Bethlehem. Okay? Amen. Are you still with me? I get stirred up about this. So when Jesus looks at him and says, most assuredly, We've already commented on most assuredly once. I'm going to comment on it again. There are a lot of most assuredly's in the conversations Jesus had with people. A lot of most assuredly's when Jesus would open his mouth to teach. And anytime Jesus would say most assuredly, he was basically telling you and me to brace ourselves. He was basically telling you and me to hold on and don't let this fly over your head because I'm fixing to tell you something that's going to seem very difficult to understand or even believe, but I'm telling you it's straight up, it's truth, and you, and you need to lean into it, and you don't need to be offended by it and you need to hang on to it until it makes sense to you and you understand it most assuredly i'm about to tell you something that's true and it's going to seem hard to believe so he says most assuredly i say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god now at this point i kind of imagine nicodemus trying to keep a straight face but in the back of his mind he starts thinking about how he can get out of here in a hurry, right? I imagine thoughts were in his head, something like this. They told me he was a nut, and I should have listened to him, right? Because where, 
where did Jesus' answer come from? I mean, it's almost like, it's almost like they're having two separate conversations. It's, it's almost like Jesus is not even paying any attention to what he said. But watch this now. Jesus knows him. Jesus knows this man's heart. He can read him, right? And let me tell you what he's doing for Nicodemus. He is answering the question for Nicodemus that Nicodemus doesn't know how to ask. Nicodemus don't know how to ask this question, right? But Jesus not only knows what he's looking for and knows what he's trying to find, he knows the question that he has. He knows the answer to the question that Nicodemus doesn't know how to ask. And so he says, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay? Now, let's not go too quickly then past this. We will do at least one whole class on the kingdom of God. But for now... But for now, what Jesus is in essence saying, we know this from this conversation, we know this from other passages in the New Testament, and as well as prophetic passages from the Old Testament. What we know from this statement right here is that Jesus is a new breed of minister. Jesus is not ministering according to the Old Testament prophet model, but he is ministering under a, the new model of God's kingdom upon the earth. Do you remember Elijah, Elisha? Elijah was given a portion or a measure of God's Spirit. Think literally God dipping a, 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 a large ladle into uh, the Holy Spirit and pouring a portion of it out upon Elijah. Elisha says, I want two helpings. I want two ladlefuls of the Holy Spirit upon me. And so we often hear people today asking God for a double measure, a double portion of the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to offend you or hurt your feelings, but that is an outdated prayer because the Bible says Jesus was given the Holy Spirit without measure. He wasn't given a couple of spoonfuls. The Holy Spirit himself came upon Jesus and the prophet said, Joel said there would come a day when the Holy Spirit would not just be given in measure to a select few, but the Holy Spirit would be poured out, come on now, upon all flesh upon everybody that would desire to have this kind of empowerment and authority in their life. Now, Jesus answered and said, Most of I say to you, unless one is born, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So let's put some pieces together here, okay? Nicodemus couldn't see how Jesus was able to do what he was doing. And Jesus is in essence saying, unless you're born again, you'll never see it. Because what's producing the results you see are my father's, it's my father's invisible kingdom. Hey Amen. I want to teach so badly right now on the kingdom. There's just so much there, though. We don't have time for that and this, okay? But let me just say about the kingdom, okay? Think government. The kingdom of God is the government of God. It's the rule of God. It's the reign of God. It's the realm of God. It's the resources of God, okay? I'm not trying to be funny when I say this. My wife and I live in government housing, okay? Not United States government housing. We live in kingdom government housing. Amen. Because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We've been born into his kingdom. Amen. And now he is our source. He is our king. He is our provider. And everything that, these are kingdom clothes. Amen. That I'm wearing. Amen. Because the kingdom of God now is my source. Praise God. And so remember, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Anybody remember those classes? Okay. So what is he saying? He's saying the kingdom that was once three uh, heavens away and very difficult to access has now been brought to the earth and is as close as your outstretched hand. The kingdom that was once very difficult to receive any kind of answer from is right here with you, so close to you that you can reach out and touch it because the king has come and he's brought his kingdom with him. 
But he's saying to Nicodemus and he's saying to you and me, unless you're born again, you'll never see it. Unless you're born again, you will never see it. Okay? Nicodemus, verse 4, said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered most assuredly. Here we go again. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Okay? So a lot of what we're talking about now is setting the stage for things we're going to dig into much deeper in future classes. So here, Jesus introduced to you and me this idea of being born a second time. Nicodemus had a problem that a lot of people still have today in that he was trying to understand something that was spiritual from a flesh-first, flesh-only perspective. When Jesus said you must be born again, Nicodemus automatically thought a grown man going back inside his mother's womb and being born a second time. He was thinking flesh first, flesh only. Jesus was not talking about a physical birth. He was a second birth. He was talking about a spiritual second birth. So when he says, Jesus says in verse 5, unless one is born of water, when you were born, your mama's water broke. Amen. The first time we were born physically, we were born of water. Unless you're born of water and the Spirit. So the second birth is a spiritual new birth. Amen. It's being born a second time, not your body, not your soul. Your spirit is born a second time. This is what it means to be born again. Born of water means born physically. Born of the spirit means born from above, born from the incorruptible seed of God's word. He says, unless you're born of water physically and born of the spirit, born again spiritually, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's very important. The only way for us to enter into the kingdom is to be born into it. You can't buy your way in. You can't earn your way in. You can't be good enough long enough to get a pass. The only way into the kingdom is to be born again, is to be born into it. Born of a different seed, born with a new nature, born with a new citizenship. Praise the name of the living God. All right. Now, that which is born, Jesus still talking, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. We're talking about two separate things, Nicodemus. We're talking about two separate things here, okay? Jesus keeps going. Verse number seven, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Anybody listen to me right now been born of the Spirit? Anybody listen to me right now been born again? Okay. So he's talking about something here that is not just exclusive to Jesus He's, Jesus is saying, listen, what you're seeing in me is going to be true about every person who's been born again. Okay? Nicodemus, I'm going to come back to verse 8. Nicodemus, I think, throws up his hands in frustration and says, how can these things be? It's almost kind of like, and I'm, I'm not trying to say that he was being rude or arrogant. I think he was, more than anything, he was frustrated because he really wanted to know. I don't think this conversation was going as Nicodemus anticipated it to go. And now Jesus is talking about things that are seemingly over his head. And you've got to understand, this was uh, a member of the intelligentsia. This was, this was a man who was educated uh, as much as perhaps any other person or at least equal to what other people on planet Earth, you know, the most educated people on planet Earth would have been educated as and now all of a sudden he's he's got this carpenter from the wrong side of town 
with questionable paternity that's talking about things that he doesn't understand and he's probably getting a little bit defensive, a little bit frustrated, a, a, a little bit uneasy. And so he fires back at Jesus, how can these things be? And Jesus didn't cut him any slack at all. Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? See, Nicodemus is acting like Jesus is talking in a, a, some kind of foreign language and some kind of strange doctrine that nobody's ever heard of. And Jesus gives it right back to him. It's like you've memorized the Old Testament and you're acting like you've never heard anything about any of this. And the, and the, and the New Testament, I mean, I'm sorry, the Old Testament, the Bible that Nicodemus would have studied frontwards and backwards, right, has much to say about our spirit, has much to say about the difference between our spirit and our flesh. Things that he should have known from the Bible that he had, but he didn't know, he didn't understand, he wasn't able to connect these things together. Okay? Are you the teacher in Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, here he goes again, right? I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? I know that one kind of makes you scratch your head. We're going to come back to it, okay? Verse 13, last verse, and then we'll comment on some of the ones we've already covered. No one has ascended to, ascend means to go up. No one has ascended to heaven. But he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. At this point, have y'all seen, um, do am I the only one that likes some of the commercials anyway on TV? The progressive commercials becoming your parents. Anybody? 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 <laughs> They're my favorite. They're my all-time favorite commercial. All right. So the, the newest one is where they go to one of these uh, kind of upscale salad restaurants. Anybody seen that one? Okay, and he's looking at the menu, and 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 the and doctor, what's his name, doctor? Uh, you know who I'm talking about? The guy that's there. Phil, I don't, is it Phil? I don't think it's Phil, but I wanted to say Phil, like you. Okay, but anyway, the guy's standing there, and he goes, "Holy cow, this looks like a science experiment, right?" And then one of the guys looks over, and he goes, "Are all of these lettuces?" You know, and um, and and then of course when he goes to pay, the guy says it's 19.25. He goes, "Oh no, I'm just paying for my." Salad, and that was how much his salad cost, right? But in the middle of all that, the one that wears the glasses and the beard—I don't, I don't know the, the actor in there—he's standing there, and and the server says, um, "We have white rice, brown rice, and quinoa." Have y'all seen that one? Yeah. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Anybody remember what that guy does? He goes, <laughs> and the doctor comes up and he says, "He's, he's going to need a minute, right?" In other words, he just fried his circuits, right? I mean, he's like, I almost picture like. At this point, when Jesus says these last things to Nicodemus, I almost picture Nicodemus going like that. Like, yeah. It's like, it's too much. It's just, just beyond me, right? Okay. And um, maybe you're kind of doing some of that internally as well. All right. But we're going we're gonna to break it down. Amen. We're in good hands tonight. Holy Spirit's going to help us. Yes? Yes? Now, why is this important? This is important because it's talking about our new birth. The only way to get in the kingdom, the only way to get the wrath of God off of you, the only way to be born again, amen, is what's being explained to us right here. But it's also showing us, though, that the purpose for our new birth, the purpose for the grace that brings our new birth, right, goes beyond just the new birth experience. It goes beyond just getting the wrath of God off of you so that, you know, you're no longer living under the condemnation of this world. Verse 16 is the one that people are perhaps most familiar with. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. That verse actually was a part of this conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. We'll get to that in later classes. All right. Now, let's go to... Thank you, Jesus. Let's go to verse... I'm going to go back up this way. Um, 
Let's go to verse 8. That's a good one for us to go to right there. Okay. Now, I hope that I have not taken too much time with this, but what I've told you so far, at least most of what I've told you so far, you need to be able to understand what Jesus is saying to him about being born again, about seeing the kingdom, about entering the kingdom. Because what Jesus is, is in essence saying is, Nicodemus, you're trying to understand me as a prophet, and I'm not a prophet. You understand that model of supernatural ministry, and that model is, uh, is, is past now. God's doing a new thing. Come on now. God's doing a new thing. And the new thing that he's doing is not going to be for a, you know, rare select group of people, but it's going to be for whosoever will. Amen. Because God is opening the doors of his kingdom to anyone who wants to call on and believe on the, the son of God who wants to believe on Jesus. All right. And he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but can't tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, Jesus is not getting spooky on us here, all right? And some, y'all ever had somebody kind of get spooky on you when it comes to the scriptures and stuff? You know, it's like they kind of get this bizarre look on their face and it's not what he's doing here, okay? It's not what he's doing. Think about it for a moment. If I'm sitting in my house and I look out my window and I see the oak tree in my backyard moving, okay? I don't get up and run to the door to see if a rhinoceros has gotten loose from the Birmingham Zoo and is banging its head against that tree. No, what do I know? Instinctively, what do I know? The wind is blowing. The wind is blowing and the wind is what's causing that tree to move. I can't see the wind, but I can see the result that's being produced by the wind. Are you with me? So Jesus is answering Nicodemus's question. What brought Nicodemus to Jesus? What brought Nicodemus to Jesus was Nicodemus seeing the tree move, but not knowing how it was moving. He was seeing things with his eyes that were undeniable. He was seeing miracles that were undeniable, but he had no idea what was causing the miracles. In other words, watch this, hence the title of one of the subtitles for tonight's class. He was, he was seeing signs that were visible but we're coming from an invisible source. Visible signs from an invisible source. Visible signs from an invisible source. Jesus was doing things that anybody could see, but he was doing those things from a source that most people could not see. And that source was his father and his father's kingdom. This is why he said, unless you're born again, you will never see it. 
But watch this now. Unless you're born again, you can never be a part of it. But if you are born again, not only can you see it, not only can you see and understand the invisible source that the visible miracles and signs are coming from, you can be a part of the invisible source that's producing the visible signs and miracles. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, he's saying every person who is born again and enters into my Father's kingdom will be able to do exactly what you're seeing me do, produce visible signs and miracles from an invisible source to the world. Well, amen. I don't know what I thought was going to come from all that from you, but amen. He's talking about you and me. And the devil doesn't want you to know this. The devil doesn't want you to hear this. He doesn't ever want you to think like this. He doesn't want this to be revealed to you. He would rather keep the body of Christ in ignorance about this. He would rather keep the body of Christ blinded to this. He doesn't want you to know that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world against you. He doesn't want you to know that you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. He doesn't want you to know that you can speak with new tongues and you can lay your hands on the sick and the sick recover. Visible signs from an invisible source. Jesus answered and said to him, verse 10, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these, know these things? Most assuredly, here we go again. Now, this is the part that gets a little bit, stay with me, follow me closely. Don't follow me too close. I might take a hard right turn and you get lost. Just, you know, close enough to stay, no, don't lose sight of me. I'm just being silly, okay? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know. Who's we? We is obviously um, could include me and you saying what Jesus says, but I believe in this context, he's saying not just John the Baptist and other disciples, but he's talking about me and my father. Remember, Jesus said, I don't say anything unless my father tells me to say it. He said, my doctrine is not my own. My doctrine is my father's. I didn't come up with these things. These are the things that my father told me to say. So when he says we speak what we know, he's saying that he and his father are saying what it is that he says. We speak what we know and we testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. Okay, now, now let's just stop here for just a moment, okay? This is where he's kind of, Jesus is kind of, you know, getting a little, uh, a little more intense with Nicodemus, okay? But this is what he's saying. He's saying, Nicodemus, I came to this earth to reveal things to people that have been kept a secret from the foundation of the world. I've come to tell you what I know from my world. I've come to bring wisdom and truth and understanding and insight from my Father's kingdom and broadcast it, make it known, tell it to people here on the earth. And that's what I've been doing. Okay, That's what we know. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen. But notice what he says. You do not receive our witness. Can I, put it in, can I put it in plain everyday language for you, okay? Nicodemus, I've been telling you things from my world, and you ain't heard or listened to or believed a word I've said. Now, how did Jesus, how did Jesus teach people on the earth things from his world? He used parables. He told them stories. He told them things, watch this now, he told them things from their world and from our world that they could relate to in hopes of connecting them with truth and wisdom from his world. So up until this point, everything that Jesus had explained and had taught 
to people on the earth, there was something in our world that he could use to relate wisdom and understanding from his. Are you seeing this? So he told a story about a man who had two sons. He told a story about a woman who lost a coin. He told a story about a man who planted seed. He told a story, and, and the stories went on and on and on and on. But every one of those parables, I call them come parables so that you can kind of bridge what he's doing there. He's giving us something that he can compare his truth to that we can recognize and understand in our world. Yes? Yes? Uh, some of you like I'm boring you. I'm trying to bore you. Amen. You hanging in here with me? Okay, all right. So he says, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. In other words, you're not listening, you're not listening to what I'm saying. You're, remember, according to your understanding, according to your longing, I'm sorry, according to your longing to understand. And Nicodemus really wasn't interested in sitting down at one of Jesus' classes and taking notes, okay? So verse 12, Nicodemus... If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Can I put it in my own words for you? Nicodemus, up until this point, everything I've said to you, there's been something in your world you can relate it to. And you haven't listened to or believed a word I've said. So what are you going to do if I tell you something from my world that there's nothing in your world I have to compare it to? If you won't believe the things that I'm telling you that there's something you're familiar with that you can relate to and you still won't believe and receive it, what are you ever going to do with something from my world that you have nothing in your world to try to compare it to to understand it? That's the question, right? And then Jesus gives him just that thing. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven... That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. What in the world is Jesus saying? Let me tell you what he's saying. You ready? Jesus was saying that he was in a unique position to touch heaven and earth at the same time. No one's gone up, but I've come down. And you see me here, and I'm here. But while you see me here, and I'm here, I'm also there. I'm here, and I'm there. I'm bridging the gap between heaven and earth. What was Nicodemus's original question? How are you able to do the signs that you're doing? Nicodemus, I'm doing the miracles. I'm doing the miracles because the miracles are coming from a source that you can't see. You can see them, but you can't see the source from which they come. And the source from which they come is I'm acting like a bridge. I am here on the earth, but while I'm here on the earth, I'm also touching heaven. And because I'm on the earth and in heaven at the same time, I'm now acting as a bridge so that the resources and the power and authority that's in heaven can flow through me into the earth and make a difference in people's lives here on the earth. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, what if I was to tell you that your salvation has put you in the same position? As a born-again man or woman... You're here. I see you. But the Bible also says in Ephesians chapter 2 that you are seated right now. You are seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places. 
You see, your salvation has placed you in a unique position. My salvation has placed me in a unique position. Because just like my big brother Jesus, while I am here, I'm also there. And while I'm there, I'm also here. I'm touching two worlds at the same time. Now let me tell you what most people think about salvation. Most people who have been born again, and and I'm I'm not trying to blame anybody, and and I get a little passionate about this, and so don't mistake my passion for anger. You could say that I get a little frustrated about this, okay? But I also understand why so many people think this way. It's because it's how we were, pardon the expression, it's how we were presented, or I don't like to use this word, but understand what I mean. I don't mean like bought and paid sold. It's how we were sold on the idea of getting saved. We were Most people were sold on the idea of getting saved as, you know, heaven's, heaven's real and so is hell and hell is hot and heaven is good and nobody wants to go to hell because hell's forever. But you want to go to heaven and, and we's like, okay, yeah, I do want to go to heaven. I mean, you're not talking about going right now, right? Because I got other things I want to do. No, no, I'm talking about going right now. Okay, yes, yes, then yes, I will receive Jesus because I want to go to heaven one day when I die and I really don't want to go to hell one day when I die. But as long as I get my driver's license first, as long as I get get married, as long as I have three children, as long as I get to fulfill my dreams on this earth, and then go to heaven, I'm I'm in. Count me in, right? So in other words, the the whole idea, (laughs) am I right about it, right? So the the whole idea, the whole idea is it's presented to us, salvation is presented to us as what we have to do to go to heaven one day when we die. And so think about all the questions that I'm asked or that maybe you're asked, right? Those of you who've been in, you know, in, in positions of, of leadership in, in ministry and are, are in positions of leadership in ministry. You know, people want to know, well, can you, go, can you do that and still go to heaven? It's because everything is about going to heaven. Everything is about, you know, how, how much do we have to do to get into heaven and how much can we get away with and not go to hell? And it's like everything about the Christian life then gets put in this context of getting, going to heaven one day when we die. After we live a long life and do everything we want to do and then go to heaven. But I'm telling you, that is according to Jesus. When the whole concept of being born again is introduced to us. What if I was to tell you that you being saved is not about you getting into heaven, but you being saved is about getting heaven into you while you're here on the earth. It's about... The, the, the kingdom of God being put inside of you so that you have access to the same resources that Jesus had access to to be able to minister to hurting people the way Jesus ministered to hurting people. So Pastor Mark, again, I, I anticipate the question. So you're saying that we don't go to heaven when we die? <laughs> yes, we go to heaven when we die. I'm hoping to go by way of rapture. I'm not too interested in the grave. Amen. But if that's the way we go, that's the way we go. Praise God. But listen to me, please. See, again, you say that and people, they do the very thing that I'm trying to, to, to help you correct. It's like we automatically go, well, he don't even think there's heaven's real. He's just, uh, yes, heaven's real. And it, and, but see, again, we've, we've made heaven our goal. Heaven's not our goal. Heaven's our reward. Jesus is our goal. He's the one we're going after. I'm not, I'm not trying to live my life to get to heaven. I'm trying to live my life to be like Jesus. That's the goal of things, right? I'm right about it. So see, I get, I get so excited about this. But see, this is the shift, right? That's why so many people aren't really interested in ministry. Because they think ministry is changing diapers. And that is ministry. I'm not saying that it's not. Well, ministry, you know, they might ask me to cut the grass. You know, I have allergies, and I don't, I don't you know, cut no grass down that church. I don't, I, don't even, I don't even cut my own grass. I pay people to cut my grass. I, mean, I give an offering. They can use some of that money to get people to cut the grass. See, see we have this whole concept of, of, of this limited concept of, of, of ministry. Let me tell you something. 
Lay your hands on somebody that's sick and watch God heal them. Cast the devil out of somebody and, and, and watch how quickly in the Bible, I'm using this word literally from the scripture, they addicted themselves to ministry. It, it's what you were born for. And the devil never wants you to experience that. He never wants you to enjoy the thrill of heaven touching earth through you. Oh, sweet Jesus. Your salvation is about more than getting you into heaven. Salvation is about getting heaven into you. When Jesus taught us to pray, again, whole class on the kingdom. But when Jesus taught us to pray, how did he teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven. Okay. So first of all, Jesus' dad is my dad too. He didn't say you pray to my father. He said you pray to our father. Jesus' dad is my dad. I'm talking to him as my father. He's God, yes. I respect him as such. But he's my father. He's my daddy. He's my Abba. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray after this method, pray after this manner, follow this outline, follow these principles of prayer. You on earth, where am I? If he's in heaven, where am I? I'm praying I'm on the earth. I'm on earth talking to my father, Jesus' father, same father in heaven. Our father who art in heaven. He's in heaven. I'm on the earth. Hallowed be your name. Your name's above every name. You deserve the highest honor. You deserve the highest respect. And your words deserve the highest place in my life. Hallowed be your, be your name. Then immediately ask Father for what? For his kingdom to come. Rule of God, reign of God, realm of God, resources of God. Kingdom come. Be done will of God. On earth. Come on now. As it is in heaven. On earth. As it is in heaven. That should be the battle cry of the church. On earth. As it is in heaven. How many people struggling with addiction in heaven this morning, this evening? See, none, right? How many people are, are, are just being debilitated by, by dominant negative emotions in heaven? None, right? Father wants to see his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not sure why we've lost video for those of you who are watching online. Thank you, Jesus. I think we still have audio. I appreciate you hanging in here with me for just a moment. Praise God. The camera is disconnected, but that's all right. I think they can still hear me. Sweet Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. I'm not going to mess with it. I'm just going to keep going with it. Praise God. Matter of fact, I'll just put the... Thank, thank you all for being patient with me. Okay, amen. All right. There we go. I should put the screen overlay on. All right. How about this? Jesus said this. He said, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. John 17 and 18. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. As Father God sent Jesus into the world... When he says, as he was sent, he's talking about with the same equipping, with the same access, with the same mandate, with the same assignment. We've covered this already. I'm just reminding you in light of what we've just said, trying to connect these things together. 
John 17, 23, Jesus says, I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So you may or may not know this, but the, the, the byline, tagline, what have you, for this church, Heritage Christian Center, is so the world may know. Amen. So the world may know. There's a lot of good slogans and things that churches use, but that's, that's the one the Lord led us to emphasize. I am here tonight because I want you to know some things that the devil's tried to keep you from knowing your whole life. Amen. Amen. So the world may know. I did not come up with this phrase. I'm not sure who did. I give them credit. But to simplify things, discipleship is about knowing God and making him known. Not just about knowing him. You've you got to know him to make him known, right? And the, and the more we know him, the more we know of him, the more we know about him, the more we, more we know from him. Remember those three that we looked at in the, in, in the early days of, of these classes, previous classes. It's one thing to learn about. It's another thing to learn from. But the, the highest level of learning is to learn of. That, that would include someone, uh, their, their nature, their character, their personality. To know God and to make him known. Now, some in the body of Christ want to be like the world, while others are only interested in escaping the world. So we're talking about three positions. The first one is, how can I be a Christian and be like the world, conform to the world? Well, you, you know, riding the fence, you're going to get pretty beat up trying that, okay? doesn't work. Others are only wanting to escape the world. And so they withdraw and, and they isolate and it's us four and no more and don't ever even, you know, introduce themselves to the next door neighbor because you've seen beer cans in their front yard and this and that, right? So this, this whole concept of we're going to isolate from the world in an effort to escape the world, okay? But what we see in Scripture is that we're not here to be like the world or escape the world, but Jesus left us here to change the world, to change the world for his Father's glory. Now, we're almost out of time. Let's do this. Ephesians 2, 4, 5, and 6. Ephesians 2, 4, 5, and 6. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, but God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love with which he loved us. But God who is rich in mercy. Because of his great love. Why? Why did he do all this? Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead. Notice the verb tenses. Even when we were dead in trespasses. What did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Touching two worlds at the same time. 
seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. There's a name for this doctrine. You understand what I mean by doctrine? Like you have different teachings and systems of teaching in the Bible. So um, you might want to write this down, okay? There's a name for this doctrine that we are seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places, touching two worlds at the same time. Are you ready for what the name of this doctrine is? It's the doctrine of salvation. Okay? The doctrine of salvation. Now, I was kind of joking on you there a little bit, but I did so to make the point. Because this is not what people think salvation is. Are you following what I'm saying? This is not what people think salvation is. I'm not, I didn't write this. I didn't make this up. I'm reading to you from the Bible, okay? All right, you follow what I'm saying here? And notice that as he's explaining these things, in verse number five, he puts in parentheses, by grace, you have been saved. He goes on, and I, amen, we could keep reading here, where he talks about, um, not of works lest any man should boast. And he says it again, by grace, you have been saved. What is he emphasizing? He's emphasizing that these things are not extreme doctrines. These, see, we hear, we hear things like this, and, and so many people in the body of Christ today, they, they hear somebody like me or somebody else teach on these things, and they think, boy, this is some extreme doctrine. I mean, this is some far-out stuff. You know, I've been in church my whole life. Nobody's ever explained this to me. What, what, what kind of teaching is this? What kind of doctrine is this? It's salvation. This is what it means to be saved. To be crucified with Christ, to be buried with Christ, to be raised up together with Christ, to newness of life, and then to be seated together with Him in the heavenly places. Again, in the same position that Jesus was in while He was on this earth. No one's gone up but the Son who came down, who is in heaven even while He's here. Touching two worlds at the same time. Amen? All right, praise God. Praise God, praise God. One more time, your salvation was not just about getting you into heaven, but about getting heaven in to you. Now, this is a good stopping point. I'll tell you where we'll be next week. We're going to begin in 2 Corinthians 5. Again, another lengthy passage of Scripture. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 21. And I'll go ahead and put this on the, on the, on the screen. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21, and I put this little subheading in the bottom. It's the crossroads of many important doctrines. A doctrine is just a system of teaching, okay? And this being our 20th year of doing this class, um, this used to be class one. Now, there are times where I'm tempted to start here first and then things we've already covered, add them later done it different ways. But the last several years, I felt led, and this is the process that we've gone through, okay? But what we find in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21, among many things, is the ministry that every born-again believer has been called to. I told you every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. And we find specifically what that ministry is. And I'll go ahead and tell you. You can read it for yourself, and we'll get into great detail next week. It's the ministry of reconciliation, okay? The ministry of reconciliation. And so we will explain what that ministry is and how you do it and how you need to start now because as we learned at the beginning of this class, you'll never learn to use a fork until you use one, and you can't grow without ministering. And so it's time to start doing something for somebody. Amen? Amen. All right, did you get anything out of it tonight?
All right, Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Father, for seeds of your word planted and watered, Lord, in our hearts tonight. Thank you, Father, for... Um, first of all, Lord, we just declare that the enemy will not steal this word from these, your precious people. Uh, Father, there may be things tonight that were, were spoken that um, were a little deep for some folks in the room or some folks watching online. But, Father, I thank you that we're not going to uh, just throw all of these things away, but we're going to hide them in our heart, just like there were things that you said to the Virgin Mary that she didn't fully understood, but the Bible says she hid them in her heart. And, Lord, as things progressed, she understood. And so, Father, I thank you that we're going to take that same approach. We're not going to cast away our confidence. We're, going to, we're not going to cast away the Word. We're going to hold fast our profession. We're not going to let the enemy steal it from us. But, Father, we're going to water these things. We're going to continue to uh, study and grow up into these things. And I thank you, Father, that your Word is producing results in our lives and our families. And, Lord, we thank you for good things now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, I don't really have words to say how much your faithfulness means to me in these classes. And um, you be blessed. Good things coming. I'll see some of you Sunday, some of you in a few minutes in the main service. Uh, but good things uh, for you and yours.